Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast for comedians of any variety. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at There It Is Pod and like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes. Leave some comments if you are on SoundCloud listening to this. I appreciate that. Head over to the website, thereitispod.com, to read blogs and find out how you can support the podcast, which would be very much appreciated. A note on those blogs there, I am certainly not saying I am so experienced at comedy that I can impart wisdom. I'm not a guru. I haven't been doing comedy all that long. But I do like to process things and share them to encourage dialogue and encourage you to process things yourself and connect some dots on your own. I think that's good. We can help each other with that. So read up on those blogs, share them, and uh, talk about them. Talk about them with me. Talk about them with other people. Speaking of someone with experience, though, today's guest is great. It's a fantastic interview today for you. I'm really excited to share this with you. It's good for anyone who wants to create comedy. I talked to Joe Toplin. He is a former writer for Late Night with David Letterman and In Living Color. He went on to be the head writer for both The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and The Late Show with David Letterman. And he's done a ton of other things. In television comedy over the last 40-some years, there's not much else this man could have done. He has so many great insights on generating comedy. It's a great episode for you whether you want to write for a talk show, create sketches for your improv theater, or learn how to write stand-up jokes. We talk about all that and his book, which is titled Comedy Writing for Late Night TV, which breaks down how to create comedy pieces. When I started this podcast, it was to have interviews and guests like this one. It is great. I am so thrilled to share it with you. Without further ado, here is my chat with Joe Toplin. Now, sir, you have done a tremendous amount of work in venerable TV shows over the years, especially being one of the first writers at the original Late Night with David Letterman. You must be really proud to see what that show has become. I am proud. Uh, we we had no idea that the, the show would take off the way it did. I came in about a year and a half after the show started. Uh, there were a whole bunch of writers uh, who decided that they they wanted to go on to other things, and, and they opened up a lot of writing slots on the staff. And, and I fortunately knew that one of the head writers at the time. And he invited me to, to submit some material to, to maybe get a job on the show. And, and luckily I did. Uh, but when I came in, I, there, there were three or four other new writers at the same time. And, and it, we just, uh, it, for most of us, it was our first job in television. But uh, there was a little pressure because we had to do a show the next day. And none of us really <laughs> uh, knew exactly what we were doing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, in fact... We were scrambling so so furiously for material that that some of the stuff I wrote for my submission packet actually made it onto onto the show. Oh uh, wow! They just were looking for stuff to do, but uh, but we were we had a safety net, which is that the the writers who preceded us on the show had had really created uh, set the tone of the show with with Dave Letterman and really created a lot of of the comedy pieces that that gave us a template like this is the sort of thing we do on the show do stuff like this so it was it was kind of scary but at the same time we did have uh, something to follow uh, we weren't creating it out of out of nothing out of nothing uh, but you had something there that you can jump off of yes yeah we had uh, there were uh, stupid petrix was uh, <laughs> was a, a very early piece that uh, I, I think Merrill Marco created that with Dave 
Yeah. And, and, and that really, that sort of piece uh, it gives you the idea of, oh, okay, that's, it's, it's, it's entertaining, it's fun, it's visual, but at the same time, there's something a little off about it. Yeah. Uh, so, so that kind of tone we already inherited. Plus, it was on at 1230. Uh, there was no pressure. There was no, right. comp- there was no competition at 1230. And it was the first type of show. I mean, of course, The Tonight Show had existed for decades by this point, but it was the first 1230 slot that late at right. night. Right. It was kind of, uh, as I understand it, it was kind of an experiment for NBC. Is, is there an audience? And, and uh, will people, enough people want to watch this that we can make some money off it? Uh, and... Uh, and it started to catch on. And I imagine before you were working there, you were doing stand-up. Uh, no, I was. I, I wore a suit. I was a financial analyst for Columbia Pictures. Wow! So how did you even come to the conclusion that you wanted to write <laughs> <laughs> write comedy? I know it's a, a weird kind of career uh, change. The, the 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 connection is the Harvard Lampoon. I went to Harvard and I was on the Lampoon. Awesome. And, and at the time, it, it, it wasn't quite the, the, the kind of place you go if you want to write television comedy. It was, it was a, a humor organization at Harvard. It was for people who enjoyed making jokes and writing comedy and pulling pranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so and, many amazing people came from that era. Uh, yes. uh, Andy Borowitz and George Meyer and, and Max mm-hmm. Prost and Tom Gamble. Um, Jim Downey was on the Lampoon when I was there. Oh wow! Went on Early to do writers of SNL. Right, SNL. And years later, uh, Jim Downey was was the, the the head writer that I was talking about on Late Night with David Letterman. So, oh, okay. So I knew him from the Lampoon, and that was what gave me the opportunity to to get my material in front of Dave Letterman. So so that's the connection. It was really uh, I I loved comedy. I loved writing comedy, but. I went to business school and uh, I, and I started off on a different track, but luckily I had that Jim gave me the opportunity to to get my material into the show and and that's how I made the the sidestep into a different career. Wow, that's really great. It's like uh, like you, you'll hear from a lot of people in show business or comedy. It's just you, you meet people. You, somebody you meet you met ten years ago could turn out to be working on a show and remember your work, or maybe have seen you performing stand up, and they say, "Oh, uh, you know, maybe you'd like to to submit a packet to the show." So it's uh, like a lot of a lot of careers, a lot of jobs. It's uh, you have to do networking. You have to just get yourself out there and meet people and, and impress them with what you can do. Absolutely. In those early days at late night, I, I know that a lot of the tone had been set, but were you still trying to figure out what this show was going to be? Was there a lot of trial and error in creating that? Uh, yes, I think like like any new show, you, you start out with with a pretty good idea of what you're, what you're looking for. You have uh, comedy pieces that, that you want to do that you say, this is the sort of comedy we want to do. But, uh, but you're also, if, if you're good and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, I think you're, you're trying new stuff and yeah, you just pitch an idea to, to the head writer, to the host. And you think, uh, I think this is funny. I think the host will think this is funny. I think the audience will think this is funny. This is something we haven't done before. And especially if you're on at 1230 and you're lucky, those says, yeah, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, uh, it doesn't work. You don't do it again. Right. And if it's work, you say, oh, that worked. Let's do it again, but <laughs> a little different. Or how about this piece that's kind of like that one? And let's try that. So, yeah, you're always trying stuff that you, th- you hope will work. And if it does, that, that leads to other areas that you could do on the show, other areas of comedy. So, so yeah, it's, uh, I always try to, and I think a lot of people on the staff and, and Dave also tr- uh, always try to keep it fresh, uh, which means that uh, uh, it's very important for a show like this, if, if you're doing what you should be doing, to, to, to try new ideas and to try to come up with new ideas that are, aren't close to other things that have been done, which is getting harder and harder to do now that there are so many late-night so many late-night shows now. Pieces and jokes and, yeah. Which is all the more reason why you must feel proud. I mean, you at late night were a part of creating this irreverent anti-talk show, late night talk show. And that particular aspect of the late night brand voice, which I think might very well be the most venerable show in the history of late night talk show because it's never had a bad host. It's always been very well regarded. 
But it's always had that voice of irreverence. Even if you were to turn on Late Night with Seth Meyers now, you probably still see some similarities back to what you guys created back then. Yes. Dave Dave was very influential at setting the tone. Meryl Marco was very influential. And we just had a lot of a lot of leeway, a lot of free reign in the early days to to just try different kinds of comedy, different sh- what I call short form comedy, which is a comedy piece under about 10 minutes long. So anything you could think of that you think might get a laugh that's under 10 minutes long or five minutes long, uh, you could find a way to do it on this show. So yeah, Dave and his early writers really created the template that, that you'll see on all these shows now, really. Right, that's true. Jimmy Kimmel is certainly a disciple of Letterman. As yeah. well. For someone starting out in comedy who wants to write for a late night show one day, how should they prepare themselves to be able to work at a talk show? Well, I think the main thing that uh, that you have to do is to to prove you can write the the sort of comedy that that the show does. Mm-hmm. And the the way you do that is is your writing sample. You watch the show a lot. If you'd like to write it for a particular show, you watch the show a lot, learn the tone of the show, learn the sort of comedy pieces the show likes to do, uh, learn uh, the voice of the show, how edgy is it, how much political comedy does it do, and then work on your writing sample. Uh, sometimes you can find out from a show what their writing submission guidelines are. Uh, so um, they might want uh, a, a piece like this and a, a, a piece like that or one of their trademark pieces. Uh, so you can put that in your packet, but uh, you'll probably have to come up with some new ideas too. So I, I think the main thing is to put together a killer writing sample so that when the, you do get the opportunity to submit it to a show, uh, it, you can jump right on the opportunity and, and get your material there and hopefully uh, impress, impress the people reading it. From what I've understood, when you're putting together a packet, you are writing a couple of monologue jokes and then a couple of desk pieces. Is that right? Uh, that's a that's a pretty typical packet. Yeah, and uh, I wrote this book on how to do it: uh, comedy writing for late night TV. And there's right, a whole. I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. So one thing you could do is be working on a generic packet that has those things you talked about: uh, two pa- two pages of monologue jokes, um, a couple pages of new desk piece ideas. Uh, maybe a, a couple of sketches, maybe a commercial parody, uh, it, maybe some uh, some games, some audience games or some celebrity games, uh, because shows are doing those now too. And so you, you put together a packet consisting of typical pieces that, that a, a number of different late night shows might do, and that way you can tailor the, the packet if you're submitting to a particular show and, and just take out the pieces they don't do and submit the pieces they do do. A lot of people consider comedians to be lazy (laughs) they'll say that comedians are lazy but there has to be a lot of discipline writing for a talk show right there's a a, a really a lot of discipline if if you're good at it yeah because Mm -hmm. every night assuming you do uh, four or five shows a week uh, every night uh, you have to have comedy for the next day every day they're they're going to do a show at at Mm -hmm. 5 30 or 5 o'clock or 6 30 whenever the whenever the show is taped and you have to have something to do. So you don't you don't have the luxury of, of waiting until you feel funny or, or right. for until the until some mood strikes you or when some idea strikes you. You have to sit right. down and say, I'm going to write. How much writing are people on late night talk shows doing a day? I mean, it's like, I guess, how many hours are they sitting to creating uh, something? It, it depends on how well how well run the show is. Uh, a typical show, if a show is, is not well run or disorganized or, or it's it's not running as smoothly as it should, the, the writers can get there at 9 or 9.30 and be there at 9 or 9.30 at night. It can be like a 12-hour day. If if the show is clicking along and, and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and, and, the, and, and the host is approving a lot of stuff, uh, you can commit at 9 and be gone by 6. It can be just a, a, a typical, you know, 8, 9-hour day. That's good. A lot of material is rejected. Uh, 90% of the stuff that the writers actually turn out never gets beyond the head writer's office, never even gets, some, doesn't get pitched or it gets shot down or it gets shot down at rehearsal. So yeah, it is kind of a volume operation. It's, it's quality, but at the same time, there are enough uh, other factors that go into whether a piece is, is, is produced on a show that uh, you just have to turn out a lot of stuff to, to get your stuff on the air, which is what you as a writer are trying to do. How can somebody prepare themselves before they're working on a talk show? Like if they're a stand-up, 
how can they prepare themselves for that level of work? Someone wouldn't want to feel like they're being thrown to the lions. What can they do to sort of get ready to write that much? Should they just start practicing writing a lot? Uh, that's that's basically it. Yeah, I think I think if you're going to write for a late night show, it's uh, it's really good practice to write monologue jokes because uh, just uh, go in, see what's uh, what's happening in the news, and and just turn out as many jokes as you have time for mm-hmm. because the the ability to craft uh, a solid monologue joke is uh, th- that ability is used in, in creating a lot of the other comedy on these shows mm-hmm. uh, when Jimmy Fallon does uh, thank you notes those are basically well crafted little little monologue type jokes except mm-hmm. they're not based on the news they're just based on something that Jimmy's random life saying, stuff thank you. Right. exactly but but if you can write a monologue joke you can write thank you notes mm-hmm. so so I think that's a, a good way to flex your your volume comedy muscles is just just practice cranking out a, a whole lot of monologue jokes every day and, and put them on Twitter, you know, so they don't go to waste. Just post them on Twitter. and Get stuff and, out there, yeah. And, and Twitter can, can attract the attention of people who work on late night shows. You probably heard the story. Are you talking about the one who's on Seth Meyers now? Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty famous story that, that is true. Um, he's uh, He was working in IT in, right. in, in the Midwest, and, and he is... His tweets uh, caught the attention of somebody who worked on the Seth Meyers show, and they invited him to, I guess, to write a submission, and he was hired off that. And I think he's still working there. I, yeah, I, I don't recall his name, and I recently meant to look to see if he was still there. I do remember when the show was starting, someone interviewed him, and they said, "Are you scared? Like this was such a whirlwind thing. You were in IT," and he said, "Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> you know, this is very random." It's, uh, everybody is scared <laughs> oh yeah that's i think yeah. that's a good thing for people to hear is that everybody really is scared i mean even the super yeah. talented people yeah you have no idea whether you can do that job uh, until you actually have to do it i remember i was i was nervous on, on letterman on late night with david letterman i was brand new to television brand new to comedy writing and and eventually i couldn't pitch stuff that was in my submission packet i actually had to sit in the office and come up with new stuff <laughs> And I didn't know if I could do it. And yeah, you just you figure it out and, and you, you keep writing and submitting and eventually you learn what works and what doesn't and, and how to do it. And, and hopefully you, you learn fast enough that uh, they keep you on. Yeah. It seems like uh, Mr. Letterman was even a little nervous from stories I've heard that he was maybe even a little scared too, which is fair. I, certainly, Jimmy Fallon was scared the first night he did Late Night. He talks about it all the time. Sure, sure. So it doesn't yeah. matter how talented you are. You can still be a little scared, and that's okay. Yes, yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it, it does help to, to realize that everybody else is scared too, <laughs> and, and you're all in it together. I'm noticing, I'm picking up on, it seems like you have some similarities, mannerisms-wise, with David Letterman. Have you been told this before? <laughs> I, I have been told that I I I don't know why or, or how I picked him up other than just being around just him a lot. For him for like twelve years, yeah, I wrote for him for twelve years. He was a very influential on my my comedy writing and and my tone because he, he gave me my first job and I worked with him for so long. So long, yeah. You briefly left late night and you wrote for In Living Color. Uh, what did you do there exactly? Well, it. There were a, a few writers at the same time that as me who were thinking of moving to L.A. Uh, we were thinking, all right, we've we've all worked on on late night for about six years. Um, let's try something else. Mm-hmm. And in Living Color was my my first job in in L.A. It was uh, it was kind of a nice next job because it used a lot of the stuff I had learned on late night. Mm-hmm. But it was it was sketches. I got a, a chance to to write more sketches. Uh, yeah, how did you transition from that talk show to a sketch show? I mean, I guess you did do some sketch writing at late night. Yeah, it was that there was a, actually a lot of similarity. The, if you learn how to write a sketch for a late night show, uh, and, and you learn how to do it the right way, and my book describes how to do it the right way, <laughs> but uh, th- then it's just do more of that, and and also remember to to. Uh, to build in the freshness, mm-hmm. like make sure that the sketch is, is uh, reflects the tone of the show and is, is something you haven't seen before, and and also make sure that it's about something that, that in, might interest people, a subject, something in the news or mm-hmm. our character. And, and all those things are things you learn from, from late night TV, that you want to be joking about stuff that people care about, otherwise they'll just 
they'll be bored or they'll they'll disagree with you and they'll just change the channel. Was Keenan Ivory Wayans there when you were? Oh yeah, yeah, Keenan and Damon and. So this was early. I thought it was early before he left. It was it was early in the first season. Yeah. That is amazing. So I imagine one of the big shifts you had to make was for a talk show, if you're writing a sketch, you are sort of writing it to the personalities that are that are hosting the show, if you're writing for a, for a talk show. But on In Living Color, you have a whole cast of characters, or a whole cast of people, and then they have, for each of them, a cast of characters. So is there a shift that you have to make? And, oh, I'm writing this not just to this person's strengths, but to this specific character more often than I was before. Well, yes, you definitely have to write for a specific character, and, and uh, that's probably, in the case of In Living Color, going to be a specific character that one of your cast can do well and would enjoy doing. But we also had an opportunity to do that on, on Late Night with David Letterman, even as part of a, a comedy piece like, oh, I wrote something, it was a piece we called um, Who Asked For It, I think. And, and people would get up to the microphone and they would be actors or, or staff members and, and they would ask Dave to do certain things and, and then you'd see a little comedy piece and, and you could create characters for that. I created a guy who got to the, uh, to the microphone and he said uh, that he wanted to have a, a, a re- hold a reunion of the, the stewardess class of uh, you know, 1985 and, and it would be at his cabin in the woods. You know, this really seedy guy who has clearly just wanted to get a lot of stewardesses to this fake reunion at his cabin in the woods. <laughs> and and that was just a character uh, that, that I just created for as a joke in that sketch. So, so yeah, it, it wasn't always uh, comedy pieces where Dave would play a character or Paul Schaefer would play a character or, or, or Biff Henderson or, or uh, somebody Chris else. Chris Elliott? Was Chris Elliott there? While Chris you Elliott, there? great example. Yeah, he... Yeah, he would write a lot of sketches. I think he mostly uh, he mostly wrote them himself, where where he would be a character, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he'd get to to do that on the show, and that would be a sketch. So yeah, like I said, however you can think of that, you, you can be funny in in five minutes, six minutes, the the space between commercials. Uh, you, you could do that on late night, even if it involved uh, in creating a different character that that some staff member would play, or you'd get some actor from outside to play. But it was fun going to In Living Color and just saying, here's a character, and I think Jim Carrey would be great for this, or Damon, Damon Wayans, and uh, just see them bring it to life. That must have been exciting to see. I mean, this was Jim Carrey before Ace Ventura, and oh, Damon yeah. Wayans before he blew up. You know, that must have been really exciting to be there for that experience. It, it was very cool. And, and uh, I, I came in, the, the, the pilot was really well received. I came in after the pilot. And there was just uh, there was a lot of excitement around the show, uh, which was which is a great a great show to move to after after late night. Just to, oh, yeah. to feel like wow, I'm once again I'm I'm fortunate to be part of something that is fresh and different and uh, irreverent and is getting some attention. So yeah, it was very cool. After working for In Living Color for a little bit, you transitioned back to talk shows. First, being the head writer for Leno at the beginning of his tenure at The Tonight Show. Uh, what was that experience like? I'm, I'm not trying to... Uh, <laughs> this was during the time of the whole late night wars and, and everything, the Bill Carter book era yeah. of, uh, of late night. So I'm certainly not trying to pitch you against the two and get, getting you to... Take sides. Yeah, I'm not trying to do that. But I do want to know what... How was this experience at The Tonight Show different than your experience at Late Night, aside from being a head writer? Well, it was the, the hosts were different, of course. Right. Uh, uh, Jay has a, a certain voice. Uh, Dave had a certain voice. But the, the, the similarity, I think, came in, in the fact that in the early days of Late Night, we felt like we could try anything. You could, you could pitch a lot of crazy ideas, and, uh, and, and Dave would be open to, to doing a lot of them. And the same thing applied to when I got to uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Jay had been hosting for a little over a year, like a year and a half. And, um, and, and Dave... This is a highly regarded era of uh, his tenure there at Tonight Show. Well, the, the first... Uh, he, for a while, he, he uh, did not have Dave as competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave didn't get the, to host The Tonight Show. He went to CBS. He right. said, uh, I, I'm going to do an 11.30 show at CBS, which became The Late Show. Mm-hmm. So after Dave came on uh, and started, started 
doing the Late Show against uh, up against the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, uh, Jay's ratings took a hit, right. and, and and the critics uh, the critics kind of pounded him. Oh, okay. Uh, so what that did was uh, instead of some shows when that happens, uh, the shows go crazy. The network suits kind of descend on the show, and everybody feels a lot of pressure, and and you get micromanaged. But the situation when I got to the Tonight Show was it was more relaxed than that. It was more like Jay, Jay and other people felt that there were some things, some areas that the show could need a little uh, would need a little help in the writing, maybe try some different stuff. But Jay was uh, was willing to try those things. He was willing to try new ideas because he knew that uh, something something had to be done differently because right. Dave was like clobbering him. Uh, so that was similar with the early days of Late Night. It was just the idea that okay, you know, what do we have to lose? Let's let's try some new stuff. Oh, that's and, fun. So, so that area, uh, that, that, that uh, gave it a, a, a fun uh, vibe. It wasn't a, a really pressured, crazy, oh my gosh, kind of running around yelling uh, vibe. Not at all. It was, uh, let's try stuff. And, and this uh, was a crazy time period in late night television because everyone was getting, I mean, Arsenio existed. Chevy Chase had a show right before you were at the Tonight Show. You were was, with Chevy Chase. You're the head writer there. I was co-head writer of the late of what uh, the Chevy Chase show. Yeah. What was that experience like? You know, it was good. It was. I'm trying to think. Was it the first time I had ever been a part of a show? I, I think it was starting a show from scratch. We had our host Chevy Chase, nice guy. Uh, was always very easy to work with and, and very talented and very funny. But that's all we had. And uh, we had an executive producer. We had me. We had the other uh, co-head writer. And it, and it was fun to, to create the show from scratch, you know, to think about what is Chevy good at? What does he want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, to use that uh, information to, to shape the comedy pieces, to look at the set and say, here's what I think is good about the set. We had a little model of a set, and I got to, to throw my ideas in there. Do we need a prop department? Uh, how big does it have to be? Are we going to do prop comedy pieces? I'm, I, I know that the, the show is anytime you see a list of worst TV shows in the history we of talk television. about it, but that show, I watched it and I enjoyed it. I think, um, I think oh. it was hard. No, I, one thing that I distinctly remember was some bit he was doing and I just grew up loving Chevy Chase. So that might've been some of it, but I, there was some bit I remember, I think we threw a guy off a roof or something, or he threatened to throw a guy off a roof. I, just, <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. that was so funny at the time, and it stayed in my memory, you know? So I feel well, like, you. <laughs> you know, if you're making people laugh, you're winning, you know? But it was it was a hard time period. CBS had a show, and NBC had a show, MTV even had a show, but there were so many people who had talk shows, but there weren't enough networks that had a talk show, you know what I mean? Because Arsenio was syndicated, which is what hurt it once CBS, in some markets, Arsenio was on CBS, but when Letterman came, that changed. And in some markets, Arsenio was on Fox, and things changed. Was Chevy Chase the Fox show, or was it syndicated as well? Chevy Chase was Fox. Yeah, Uh, Fox made a big bet on, on Chevy and the show, and unfortunately it didn't work out. I wonder, I, I kind of feel like the groundwork is a little more laid now for more people to be able to have talk shows. Uh, whereas at that time, it seems like it was a little harder for people to just get used to it and for the industry to be able to, to sustain it all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's now the, 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 the viability of the form of the genre is, is pretty established. There have been enough uh, talk shows, enough different kinds of hosts Talk shows of some of them have worked, some of them haven't worked. So, so there's been a lot of learning about what it takes to make a good show, a good late night talk show, comedy talk show. So, I I think people are more comfortable with the idea. What sometimes I think some hosts don't realize, or potential hosts, is is how much work it is for a host. From the outside, it might seem like, oh, it's just an hour a day. You just go in and turn the cameras on and uh, and and do your comedy, and you get to go home. But no, it's uh, it's a lot of work for a host, and it's. It is. Jay Leno always had this this saying. He said, "It's not a sprint; it's a marathon." Right. You can sprint for the first couple of weeks. You, if you're starting a new show, you can uh, you can tape a lot of field pieces and edit them so they're really tight and funny, and and air those in the first couple of weeks and get a a, a real fast uh, start. But then you have to do a show every night or or, or four nights out of the week, and it's a slog. And and uh, I think a lot of hosts uh, that surprises them. And oh yeah. 
possibly a lot of writers too. <laughs> I think it might. I think it might. So after Chevy Chase and then to the Tonight Show, you were the head writer for Late Show with David Letterman. What was that experience like uh, as opposed to your experience at Late Night before? At that point, when I moved back to, to New York and worked on on Late Show, uh, the Tonight Show had, had been number one for a while. When I got to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, the, Dave was beating Jay, and when I left, mm-hmm. Jay was beating Dave. Mm-hmm. So when I got back to, to Late Show, it was uh, the, the mood was different. It wasn't 1230. It, it wasn't a, a show that had no competition. Right. Uh, the stakes were higher. There was a lot more money involved. And you have this new role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But at that point, I had been head writer in the, on a couple of shows, Chevy Chase and, and a, a co-head writer on, on the, the Tonight Show. So, so I kind of knew how to do that job. The tricky part was figuring out what to pitch, what, what kind of comedy was right for the show. Because at that point, Dave had been doing the show for many years. And even though the ratings were taking a hit, it was still kind of tricky to figure out, OK, can I still pitch this idea or is that a 1230 idea? Or, or has Dave at, at this point moved on from what he was doing at 1230 and, and trying to figure out how to do a slightly different show? So even though it was still Dave, because the, the competitive environment had changed uh, and, and the, it was on a 1230 instead of uh, 1130 instead of 1230, that made it a different show. So that was tricky to figure out as a head writer, where do we put our creative efforts? What direction do we go in to get the show moving in the right direction again? What are the responsibilities of a head writer at a late night talk show? I compare a late night talk show to a little factory. It's a little factory that produces comedy every night. So the head writer's job is basically the same as, as the person who runs the factory. You have to come up with the raw materials. You have to come up with, uh, with you have a staff. You have to make sure they all know what they're supposed to be working on. Uh, you have to, to make sure they're, they're all uh, writing the right kinds of comedy pieces. Uh, you have to make sure the factory stays busy because if the, the, if the, the assembly line grinds to a halt, then there isn't comedy coming out the other end. So you have to uh, figure out how to schedule a comedy. If you do a big prop piece and you schedule that for, for uh, ne- next Wednesday, uh, the prop department's going to be really busy, so you wouldn't be able to do a prop piece on Tuesday. So it's, uh, it's more about managing your staff, making sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, making sure everybody is busy without being too busy, trying to get everybody out and, and allow them to leave at a reasonable hour by, by pitching the material that you want to get on the show, pitching it to the host, trying to get the stuff approved by the host, making sure that, that all, all the departments, graphics and props and, and uh, the, the, the segment producers who are maybe going to come up with a, a celebrity to act in your piece, make sure they all know what you want and they all know it in time to, to, to get you what you want. So it's, as you might expect, it's, there's a lot more management and at the same time, you have to make sure the comedy is funny and right. uh, the comedy is, is well written and, and well edited. And to be able to, to know how to, how to fix it, if something needs a fix uh, at rehearsal, it's good to have the experience where you can say, you know what this needs? I think, that, I think the piece is 30 seconds too long. I think we can cut out this and this and make it tighter. And, uh, and, and that comes with experience, too. If you're a writer, it, what you basically do is you, you come up with new ideas, you, you write comedy, but you're basically alone in your office. Right. Uh, it's not. There's not a lot of group writing on a show like this in general. Uh, so you're basically just taking orders. If if it's time to do thank you notes, turn in your thank you notes by two o'clock, and and also come with come up with ideas for for new kinds of pieces. That's good insight to what a head writer is doing at a talk show. Take me through a day to what's going on at these shows. Just the general routine. Okay. Um, well, it kind of depends on the show. But uh, in general, the big question at the beginning of the day is, do we have comedy for that day's show? <laughs> Sometimes something will happen, actor will fall through, or, or maybe the, the host won't have approved comedy that you all thought he was going to approve the, the night before. So in that case, the, the first order of business is, let's, let's all come up with ideas. What can we do with the, on the show that we can air at 5.30? If the comedy is, even if the comedy, it, most of the comedy is set, usually there is... Uh, comedy that you write that day based on something that happened in the news, something that happened at the Republican convention maybe, maybe somebody saw some video clip that they can they say, oh, let's do this to the clip and, and, uh, and create a little comedy piece out of it. They'll write those pieces in the first uh, couple of hours of the day. Uh, they'll turn in those pieces to the head writer. At some point late in the morning, uh, the head writer 
uh, we'll go into the host and pitch the new stuff that came in for that day, and, and maybe you'll get a couple of pieces approved. Then if, you're, you, if you were the one who wrote the piece or a piece that is being approved, that has been approved and is going to be on the show, then you have, you're in charge of producing the piece, which means uh, you get the word, oh, this, this crazy thing you wrote an hour ago, now we're going to do it on the show. So make it happen. So you have to, uh, if you need an actor, you have to cast it. Uh, if you uh, have to go out on the street and, and tape something, you have to lie, talk to the director, uh, talk to uh, the, the person who schedules crews, get a camera when you need it to, to shoot the, the footage. If it's a tape piece, you'll have to make sure you have edit time and, and make sure you have time to sit down with an editor to supervise the editing session. You have to choose the sound effects. Um, if there's a prop to be made, you have to make sure the prop department knows, this is the prop, here's the script, please make it, when can you have it done? So if you're involved in producing a piece for, for that night show, that's that's the next, uh, say, three hours of your day. That goes into rehearsal time. Rehearsal is usually 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that's when, if you're producing a piece, uh, say you're in an edit room, the director starts calling you saying, how's that, uh, how's that commercial parody coming? You got that yet for rehearsal? Uh, sorry, no, it's going to take a little. And you kind of update the director about when the, the ETA is for that comedy piece. Sometimes comedy pieces don't get done until literally... I remember on the, on the Tonight Show, oh, we were having horrible problems in the edit room. Machines were breaking. And, and Jay just, I think Jay watched the piece in the control room before the show. Oh, wow. Just watched it, but he had no chance to, no opportunity. Say like, to hey, this needs to be, yeah. He couldn't cha- yeah. make any changes. <laughs> he couldn't make any changes. It just went from, from the control room to Tonight Show with Jay. <laughs> That's he just me. knew how happy oh, or oh. upset to be about it before. <laughs> it was, oh, I, that was a, I should have avoided that somehow, um, but it was just a very tough edit. Uh, so if you're involved in producing a comedy piece, that's what you're doing. If you're not, then um, you're probably working on assignments uh, on Late Show with David Letterman. Often it was the top ten list. You'd get the topic. You'd, you'd write topics. Everybody would submit topics, um, turn them in about 11 o'clock, and around 1 o'clock you'd find out which topic you were doing, and you'd mm. turn in jokes for that. Oh, interesting. So not only are, on a, in a writing staff, not only are there divisions, people who are just writing this kind of thing, and then maybe some people who are writing various things, but then also you're given topics. You don't necessarily pitch. It's not only I pitched this. It's, it's right, right about this. Right. It's, um, there, there aren't really divisions in the writers except when it comes to monologue. Okay. Uh, if if you're a, a, someone who mostly writes monologue, some staffs have dedicated monologue writers. Uh, other staffs um, uh, have all the writers writing everything. But if you're a monologue writer, the first part of your day is writing jokes. And in mm-hmm. fact, on the Tonight Show, monologue writers that was ninety percent of their day was writing jokes for that long topical monologue that Jay did every night. Mm-hmm. But other than the monologue uh, writers, the the division between the writers is is just it's basically if you have something to produce for that day, that's you're going to be producing comedy. You're not going to be writing top ten lists. If you're right. not producing comedy for that day, you're you're coming up with new ideas. You're writing the assignments. When you pitch an idea, you'll write it down on a piece of paper with the the premise of the idea, uh, what the piece is called, and three or four sample jokes. And um, if it's approved, a lot of times that piece of paper will just get. Uh, sent around to all the writers. So they'll look at it and say, oh, okay, this is the piece we're working on. Jokes by three o'clock. Okay. <laughs> and you'll start writing the assignment. You'll start filling jokes into that piece. Or you can write something all on your own. You can write a, a commercial parody. And uh, if it gets approved, then that's your piece. It's written by you and you, you get to take ownership of it. And and that's a satisfying part of working on a show like this is uh, m- many times you you get to write something, produce it, and see it pretty much exactly as you wrote it on air, uh, which which almost never happens in in sitcoms. I also worked on on the situation uh, half hour comedies, mm-hmm. and I and there's so much group writing, there's so much rewriting that you don't have quite that degree of ownership of the, the final product unless you're at the very top, unless you're the the showrunner or the executive producer. Oh, interesting. Well, after you left the late night world you did some producing at the hit series monk how did your background in writing prepare you to be a producer on a show like monk a a one-hour drama or a sitcom the the producer titles it's basically a form of everybody's a writer (laughs) Uh, unless you get to be an executive producer uh 
or even a co-executive, a co-executive producer sometimes, everybody's in the room writing. As a producer, if you're a showrunner, the classic showrunner is an executive producer who not only supervises the writing, uh, but also it, it helps choose the locations, uh, uh, has a voice in the casting, uh, it, it sits in on the, the final edit uh, to make sure the show is edited properly. On Monk, the writing was all done in New Jersey. <laughs> and uh, and so, so the creative part, the, the, uh, the, the writing uh, was in New Jersey, and the physical production was out in Los Angeles. Right. So there was even more, so there wasn't one showrunner who, who was in charge of both the physical production and, and, and the writing. Uh, it was divided between two, two people. So I was a producer on Monk and eventually a co-executive producer, but because we were all the writers in New Jersey, only about uh, one month a year was I actually physically in Los Angeles. Um, oh, wow. The writers would rotate out there to be on the set. Uh, there always has to be a writer on the set because things come up. We, we need a line for, for Monk when he crosses the living room uh, or or this scene doesn't make sense. <laughs> what, can we cut it? <laughs> and then the writer has to be able to answer those questions. So, so then you, you do kind of have your producer hat on when you're out there. You're really close to, to the rubber meeting the road and, yeah. and the sun is setting and, and we don't have time to shoot this scene. Can we, can we shorten it a little bit? You know, questions like that. But otherwise, uh, most of the time on Monk, uh, I, was in, I was in Summit, New Jersey in a, a, a writer's room and it was, it was great. <laughs> So if you're producing for a show, you're almost burning the candle at both ends then. You're, you were there for the creation of the episode from a writing standpoint, but then on set, you were more like the head writer saying, oh, we need to get this moving along, or this piece needs to get cut for this reason, or it can't get cut for that reason. I mean, your, your time as a head writer and a writer were really, really sharpened the skills of producing a, a, a scripted television series. Absolutely. Uh, my, my experience on, a, on all these late night shows of, of actually sitting down in edit rooms and, 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 and uh, answering questions of is, it, is this actor right for this part or what's wrong with this prop or does this close up uh, show the, the name of the, the, the funny product on the can so we'll get the laugh. Uh, all those hands on details you, you really learn on a late night show. And it was immediately applicable to, to being on set shooting Monk episodes. Many times, the, the director would ray, wave wave me over and, and and say, "We need a line, or this line doesn't make sense." Or or Tony Shalhoub, who played Monk, would say, "You know, I'm just I'm just sitting in the restaurant thinking about my my dead wife. What would I be saying?" And then you're back on a late night show. You're you're pitching ideas because uh, it's a, a late night show is is it's a volume operation. This doesn't work. Try this. This doesn't work. Try that. So. Oh, wow. So that was the late night shows were great practice for uh, for being on set. I heard Tony Shalhoub was a really sweet guy, or is a really sweet guy. Still very, like very nice guy. Oh, su- such a great guy. Uh, always elevated the material, made it much funnier than, <laughs> than it had any right to be. Uh, always uh, very res- respectful of the writers. And we respected him in, in turn because he uh, really knew the character of, of Adrian Monk very well. And, and occasionally he would say, you know, I, I, I don't think Monk would do this. And, and, and usually he'd be right. We would, writers would talk about it. The, the showrunner would, uh, in New Jersey would, would all kick it around and would say, you know, yeah, that Monk wouldn't do that. And we'd, we'd rewrite it. So he really protected uh, the character uh, in a great way. And actually, all the actors did that. They, uh, um, There's the, a really good, really good cast. Yes, they they they, they were great, uh, and and they all they all protected their characters and made sure that uh, that characters were consistent, and we didn't make them do anything crazy or give them lines of dialogue that their characters wouldn't say. So so they really helped a lot. They were terrific. We were very lucky. Yeah, you you got to see a lot of amazing things up to this point in your career. I mean, that's really exciting and cool. Oh, well, I, I, I've been fortunate and I've, I've had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like to think I also enjoyed it along the way that I didn't take it too much for granted. Uh, <laughs> it's hard not to do that, though. It's hard not to take it for granted. I guess you were seeing amazing things that it's hard to maybe, it's a little bit harder to, to like take for granted. But I feel like in my personal life, I, it's I'm doing... Uh, I realized recently that I'm looking back at the early years of me doing stand-up and saying like, oh, that was so great. Whereas at the time, I was just like, yeah, just living life. Yeah. 
it's something occasionally you just have to step back and say, "Wow, I'm I'm doing something I enjoy. This is fun." And and how many people get to get to say that? Yeah, I, not many. I was I was shooting an episode. I, I was shooting. I was the writer on the set when the when the, the entire crew was shooting an episode of Monk, and we were in Hollywood, and we were at we we're at the corner of a Hollywood and Vine, and the, and the director turns to me and he says. Look at this! We're shooting shooting a TV show at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. I said, "It's great, isn't it?" And we both kind of shared that moment of, "Wow, this is fun." In, in that scene, there was a scene where Monk was doing something in the foreground, and in the background, there was something else uh, happening. And the writer, uh, the director, a great guy, uh, tur- turned to me and said, to, "After the scene was shot, does does that look look okay?" And and I said, "Well." I think it was great, except how about a shot where like we have both Monk and the action background on the same shot? And he said, "Okay, good." And he actually he actually took my note and and got that shot for Monk, and that was the shot that we used in the show. Oh, so fun. that's another example of how being on late night and being down in rehearsal and and seeing a, a comedy piece being produced, you, you learn what to look for and how to how to get shots that you don't have and make sure that the piece is as funny as it can be. Well, you mentioned your book, which is Comedy Writing for Late Night TV. Remind us what you go through. You said you show how to write a sketch correctly, and what else did you mention? Well, it's the book is called Comedy Writing for Late Night TV, available on Amazon. <laughs> and what it basically does is it allows someone who, who has an interest in short-form comedy, it allows them to, to learn all the tools they need to write the sort of comedy on a late-night show which in general is short-form comedy. It's any comedy piece that you can do that's under 10 minutes long. Everything from a monologue joke to a sketch to a commercial parody to a, a field piece, which is where you put the camera at a location and you get comedy out of location, audience games. So if you're interested in writing for late night television, this book tells you how to do it, how to assemble a, a writing sample, and then what to do with the writing sample after you're done with it. So it, it takes you through the whole process in, in great detail. It's everything I learned about writing and producing short-form comedy in, in my years of late-night television. But even though it's called Comedy Writing for Late-Night TV, the book is also great for anybody who wants to create comedy like this for a different medium, for how to write jokes on Twitter, how to do a, a funny sketch uh, and put it on YouTube, how to do a hidden camera prank and, and put that on YouTube, how to write a sketch for your sketch comedy group. So it's uh, over and above a, a book about how to write comedy for late night TV. It's a book about how to how to write comedy. Uh, what it doesn't cover is is story. Like if you write if you're going to write a sitcom or you're going to write a comedy feature film, learning how to how to write story is is another whole set of skills that you can add on top of what's what's in my book. But uh, this is really, it's, I, I like to think of it as, as one of the most practical guides to writing comedy that uh, has ever been published, just because I did go out of my way to make it uh, extremely clear and extremely practical. It's based on a class that I've been teaching at the People's Improv Theater in New York on, on late night comedy writing. I created a, an outline for the course. I figured out how to teach how to write a joke. Uh, what, what does a writer's brain go through when, when he or she writes a joke? And how do I teach that? And so based on that, I elaborated on the course. I, I figured out how to teach the, uh, the material. And I, I thought that a book might be a good thing to, to write for people who couldn't take the course and were interested in, in how to write this, this sort of comedy. Well, I can't wait to read it. I had this stack of books that I, I'm at the bottom of. And I said, what's going to be the next comedy-related book for me to nerd out about and read? And that's going to be it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank I can't you wait for- to read it. Well, at the end of the podcast, I like to create something with the guest, basically, so I can learn how to do it. Okay. Um, what's something we could uh, create together here? Uh, I guess a monologue joke or a sketch idea? or what? Sure, let's, uh, let's figure out a monologue joke. Oh, great. I'm super excited to do that with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, the first question you ask is, what's in the news? What are people talking about? What are the big stories? Well, obviously, Trump. Uh, it's the week of the uh, RNC. So, um, convention people... suspended. Um, okay. Uh, Ted Cruz betraying uh, Trump supposedly at the convention. Yeah, that was a huge story. Roger Ailes uh, out at Fox for oh, uh, sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Melania um, oh, ribbing the, the plagiarism. Right. right. Uh, those are the big. Uh, okay. Those are the big things this week. 
Uh, normally what I'd do is I'd actually go into the news like uh, abcnews.com or cnn.com and, and find out what the big stories are and, and literally what happened today. But uh, let's just invent something. Uh, okay. Or also uh, uh, Hillary getting ready for the, the Democratic convention. Right. Yeah, she's okay. getting ready for that. Let's let's start with that because that uh, that's not a that's kind of a general news item because she's going to be getting ready all uh, until Monday. Mm-hmm. So okay, uh, Hillary. Yeah, all right, Hillary. Where's the convention? Remind me. I, I, I actually uh, don't know where her, is hers going to be in the same place as Ohio. Uh, like I know it's. it's I don't know. I should know this. Uh, okay, Hillary getting ready for the Democratic convention. There is a. She's looking. Apparently, there's a story. She's looking at Cory Booker for VP. As well, so uh, I guess one okay. or the other. <laughs> I wrote a joke, uh, um, mentioned VP. I went down the list of her VP candidates, and one of them was the uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture. And I said, that makes sense, because uh, she's been having a lot of problems with her blackberries. <laughs> uh, ah. so, okay. Uh, Cory Booker is, uh, and he was... He was a senator, um, was it New Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey. Okay, senator from New Jersey. Is he uh, okay? Okay, um, Hillary Clinton uh, uh, apparently considering uh, Cory Booker, senator from New Jersey, for her vice president. Um, okay, and then you think about okay, what do I think about when I think of Cory Booker, New Jersey, uh, his name Booker, uh, and then you think of what do I think of when I think of Hillary? I think of. Uh, Email, um, private server, um, pantsuits. Yeah. Uh, uh, depending on your feelings about Hillary, you can think about other things too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, people bring up uh, her husband and his sex oh, scandals. Bill. Bill. <laughs> That's right. You also think of Bill Clinton. Yeah, and uh, I guess Roger Ailes can come into to that. Roger well. Ailes. Sure, okay. Um, Okay, Bill. Is there a way we can link Bill and Roger Ailes? Um, okay, Hillary's at the convention. She's very busy um, uh, preparing for the convention. Uh, the, and what I what I do is I just I'm very sloppy with the joke at first, just to get the pieces. Yeah, uh, you got to think about all the different aspects of it, right? And then you, yeah, just if you get the rough idea, then you can edit it later. So maybe the joke is. Uh, um, Hillary's been very busy, uh, and that's uh, that leaves uh, Bill with a lot of free time to go hitting on women with uh, Roger Ailes. <laughs> you know, the general idea: she's so busy that leaves him a little time. Uh, uh, Bill's been busy too, right? Um, <laughs> uh, he's uh, uh, who could he be hitting on with Roger Ailes? Hitting on oh who did, who did Roger Ailes hit on? Um, uh, oh. Megan Kelly was one and uh, Gretchen Gretchen, from, Gretchen uh, Carlson. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's having his own private convention with uh, Roger Roger Ailes and Megan Carlson and uh, Megan <laughs> Kelly. Uh, <laughs> uh, something like that. Uh, Bill's having a, Bill's getting together with uh, uh, some political uh, experts too. He's going to be. He's going out with Roger Ailes to hit on Megan <laughs> or Megan Kelly. Yeah, I'm like, I think there's something in there. I think there's something there too. Yeah, that could be a joke. When you <laughs> when you're it. writing for for Twitter, since you have to do it in 140 characters, how do you find the best way to sort of whittle it down? Are you just saying, well, what words can I cut? It's uh, yeah, Twitter is tricky because it, when I first started posting jokes on Twitter, I spent way too much time just. Oh, what do I need this comma? And how do I abbreviate million? Just to get into to the the stupid 140 character limit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I realized, well, if I'm going to write a joke that fits in Twitter, it it can't be a very complicated topic. You know, it has to be a topic that you can just state in in a, a short sentence. And, and also, it has to have handles that are pretty clear, like Hillary Clinton getting ready for the Democratic convention. It's very clear. It's not complicated. You don't have to explain a lot to set up the joke. Uh, so that would be a good topic for a Twitter joke. So it starts from selection of topic. You can't do anything too complicated. Mm-hmm. You don't have the room. 
And then, yeah, at some point it does get into how do I how do I word this joke as economically as possible? But that should be true of any joke, even if you're performing a joke on television, a, a, on a late night show, or writing a, a thank you note. Uh, one of the the main comedy editing tools you use is, is shortening the joke as much as possible. Take out any extra word, any extra syllable, just to to make the joke as as uh, surprising as possible. If the joke is sh- short, people can't get ahead of you and anticipate with the punchline because if they're ahead of you, they won't think the punchline is funny. They won't be surprised. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, Twitter's great exercise. It forces you to keep the joke short, which is a something you should be doing anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's a, you cut a lot of fat. Yes, you cut a lot of fat. But you, you, you don't give the audience a chance. The audience's attention chance to wander. You you, you force them to. Before they can be thinking about what they're going to have for dinner tonight, you've gotten all the information into their brains and uh, sprung the surprise punchline on them and gotten your laugh. I just saw that the NBA pulled the 2017 All-Star Games from North Carolina over the anti-LGBT legislation. Right, right. Uh, can we mine that for comedy at all? How, how, do you, where, how would you approach that? It's something sports-related but also politically-related. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the there are techniques in, in my book for, for how to mine a story like that. Uh, one thing you could do is ask a, ask a question. Uh, where else are they going to play the game? Let's um, talk about Philly. The governor okay. wants to move it to Philly. Yeah. Uh, well, by asking the question, uh, th- that's a way to... Uh, what you try to do is you come up with an answer that is surprising but is connected somehow to something in the topic. Like, um, what else do you think of when you think of uh, LGBT? Uh, what else do you think when you think of basketball? Um, hmm. This is the all-star game. Um, who is on the team? Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess... Uh you can say there's been so much moving around. This isn't the funny part, but uh, there's been a lot of moving around for players. Like Dwayne Wade just moved over, uh, uh, moved to another team from. He went to Chicago, and then. Uh, oh yeah, right. Okay. So there's a lot of moving around in the NBA. Maybe there's some way to reference that. Uh yeah yeah. You could uh, say they're moving to Philly, which will be good for the NBA since no one else in the NBA wants to go to Philly. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. If you think people think that way about Philly, then that's a, that, that's a great joke. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there it is. Hey, uh, let's call it there. That's the process. <laughs> that was great. I was so thrilled to have you on. It was great to talk to you. That was fun. Thank you for asking me. What an insightful interview. Very fun. Really enjoyed talking to him. I love getting to talk to people like Joe Toplin. He was doing a lot of work, and it is hard work, but he made it sound practical as long as you put in the right amount of discipline and effort. You know, we can do it. We can accomplish this. We learned so much from listening to that. Very accomplished man. This is, uh, this is cool. I love doing that. Buy his book, Comedy Writing for Late Night TV. It will teach you how to write monologue jokes, desk pieces, sketches, parodies, and the like. You can find it on Amazon. And let me just tell you, it really it really has a lot of great reviews on there. I mean, every book, even a good book, has some one or two star reviews. Not this book. It comes that highly regarded. There were zero one and two star reviews. I don't even think there were any three star reviews. It was like... 94% five-star reviews from a lot of people. That's saying something. So if you want to do this kind of work or get better at writing comedy in the improv theater you're in, you should read this book. I know I will. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Toplin. That's T-O-P-L-Y-N. Also go to his website, JoeToplin.com for more insight into how to write comedy. He has great blogs there and even a section where he breaks jokes down. He picks a favorite joke of the week and he explains why it's a good joke. It's very educational. It's very cool. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter 
at There It Is Pod and at Jason Farr Jokes. Like us on Facebook and go to thereitispod.com for more info on the show and how you can overcome their itis through supporting the podcast. More episodes of There It Is will help your their itis from flaring up too much. So please support so I can keep on doing this. May you all have their itis. Well, there it is, another episode of There It Is. The next couple of episodes are very exciting. I can't wait to tell you about them. I'll see you next Tuesday. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.